0: Wind and solar generated a record 10% of the world's power generation in 2021. I mean, that's remarkable. That's um, awesome. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Friday, April 8th, 2022. I am Eric Planey.
1: I am Lucas Finko.
0: And together, just the two of us going solo, we are the Pirates of Cleantech. <laughs> We haven't had a uh, non-guest episode in quite some time, so it's nice to, uh, you know, be a little more casual, Friday, you know, Friday casual, just catch up on how things are going in the world of clean tech.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and our last guest, I'm still kind of recovering because it was, it was just epic to talk to him, and and some of the mind-blowing things he said now are, like, happening. So, it's, yeah, my mind's still blown. I'm still recovering, so...
0: Totally agree with that. And, you know, this was probably one of the episodes where we got some of the most, you know, most feedback from people, Uh, texts from friends and phone calls. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, actually Catherine, one of our fellow pirates, you know, said, well, we didn't really talk about pricing of electricity in Germany and, you know, really didn't put it in that context. And I said, yeah, it's a really good point. But I think most people understand that, you know, German electricity pricing is probably so much higher than, you know, the rest of the world because that's just the nature of Germany.
1: Yeah, we did talk about it a little bit in the historical context, but yeah, we didn't talk about it in the current context at all. So that's definitely a challenge they're going to have. But he did also mention the GDP impacts from just dropping Russian imports mm-hmm. um, would be comparable to the COVID lockdowns. So yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible what happened. I do not think I would see this kind of thing in my lifetime, right?
0: Right. And I'll tell you what, I didn't put it as one of my articles, but Martin Wolf, the great um, writer for the FT, uh, I think he's an economist, had, had a piece that really supported uh, David's piece uh, in his, his presentation. And Martin had the best point. He's like, if you cut gas now, okay, you're heading the spring season, you're going to give Germany the ability to, from an industrial needs basis, find other sources of gas, like, for example, from Norway, while houses don't need to be burning gas in the summer months. So by the time winter comes around, fall and winter, you can have a new schedule, a new logistical movement of gas and oil from other sources to satiate demand. If you wait until fall and winter, it's just going to be catastrophic. And I thought that was a really great point. We're forgetting about the seasonality and taking advantage of the fact they're heading into a low period for gas usage.
1: Right. And that's true. And in the summer, they used to build their natural gas reserves, which they won't be able to do, which is a little worrying. But You know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so now that they need to find alternatives and substitutes for, for Russian energy, uh, they're going to find them. So it'll be an interesting six months uh, to see what happens there.
0: It is, it is. And of course our hearts and minds and, you know, prayers go out to the people of Ukraine and and everything going on right now. It's still tragedy more and more every day. And now we're starting to see, you know, war crime activity take place and, you know, see the results of just some really horrible things. So really sorry to see that, but um, you know we'll, we'll do what we can to support from our end. And there's a lot of websites and a lot of legitimate agencies supporting relief efforts, so you know we encourage you to go find those. Um, before we get started, I just want to give another shout out. Uh, some of you know, I had a little bit of an auto accident situation a couple weeks ago. I'm still laid up. Knee surgery went well. Uh, recovery ahead of schedule. Just want to thank everybody out there who's, you know, sent me notes wishing me well. Uh, this is why I'm not in my Home office, I'm actually down on the first floor in the living room. I feel like a a mortgage banker because I got a computer on my desk looking at the front door. I feel like people are going to come in and ask for a home mortgage. (laughs) It's all all good. So thank you, everybody, for that.
1: You know, the other big uh, news item we missed was the offshore wind auctions, which were huge. So I was going to talk about that last month, but we didn't get to it. Billions of dollars raised. Really shocking outcome. If you don't know about that, look into that. So a large swath of the Atlantic Ocean uh, off the East Coast here was auctioned off for uh, wind farm usage. And uh, yeah, the bids went crazy into the billions. So very interesting to see that. I know there's another auction going up soon. So keep an eye out for that. And it's a very exciting time over here as far as offshore wind goes.
0: Amazing. 10 years ago, nobody wanted to talk about offshore wind. Everybody yes. was in the, you know, remember Cape Cod project. Nobody wanted to see those things. Yep. Now, all of a sudden you just can't get enough of it. And that's, it's great. Um, and look, you know, even though president Biden is going through this like, kind of emergency, let's find oil from wherever we can situation, given pricing and given volatility from the Russian crisis, Ukrainian crisis, uh, we're still going to be migrating more and more towards clean sources of energy. That's all that just comes down to, it. you know, that, yeah, I mean, we can
1: still offset a lot of fossil fuel burning with adding more renewables, right?
0: Yep, yep. yep. We, we, let's get to it, no doubt. So, All right, are you ready? Yeah, let's. Uh, as you're pulling up the articles, we'll just do our friendly disclaimer. Views and opinions expressed by Lucas and I are solely those of ourselves and no organization we are affiliated with. And also uh, for any companies that we talk about that may have public securities, we are not making a recommendation on that security one way or the other. We ask you to talk to registered investment representative and do your homework. So the funny part, when you're talking about kind of picking up from David's themes from last week and talking about it, I I really focused on a couple articles that really tell me there's solutions out there to help Germany, to help Eastern Europe, to wean itself away from Russian gas and Russian oil. This was actually sent to me from my good friend, Tony. Uh, He saw this article. This is from newatlas.com, which is like a really cool, like techie website, all kinds of innovative stuff. Anyways, Quasi's uh, Ultra Deep Geothermal Drilling Plans, your questions answered. This is by Lowe's Blaine from March 6th. So it goes back a month. But I thought this was really fascinating. This is talking about a company called Kwayze, or I don't know if I'm saying that right. Quaise. They have a geothermal power plan. That's one of the most, they say, exciting, fascinating green energy projects that New Atlas has ever seen. This is a Boston-based MIT spinoff. And they said they've repurposed some technology that was used for um, millimeter wave beam burning technology to develop a superheated plasma infusion experiments. And this is able to blast through undrillable rock far below the earth's surface. So you can almost go 20 kilometers deep where it's almost 900 degrees Fahrenheit. And you can have geothermal provided to your house, to your neighborhood, to your commercial enterprise using this technology. And I really, I really focused on this. I was really appreciative that Tony sent it to me because this is exactly what Germany needs to be looking at right now and mm-hmm. Czech Republic, Austria, Poland, all these com- countries that are reliant on Russian gas for winter, you can drill down 15 20 kilometers and you're generating that getting into 900 degree bedrock or you know whatever uh, the material is down there. Um, we got to be looking at this if this is sourceable, if it is sustainable, this is something we need to take a look at. So, I really recommend this article. Uh, we'll have the link up of course with our website. With our podcast but just really fascinating
1: yeah this is really neat i've I've often wondered like yeah why can't we come up with better ways to drill than just a drill head and so this looks like that's what this is you know it looks like they're using some argon that's in some excited state to um you know make the rock more porous they call it a vitrified wall and then they can eat more easily drill so this is very interesting we should be able to get down to to uh deeper deeper depths. I mean, I, I think I remember the the deepest mine is like a mile down and it's crazy hot down there. So you don't really have to go that far, but if you want something kind of industrial temperatures, you gotta go a lot deeper, right? Um so it's just really interesting to see. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, you know, I almost think about like how cities in America, downtown areas years ago where it used to be centralized heating, right? So, you know, every commercial building in a down small downtown area had one steam plant providing, you know, heat to all those buildings. I look at small towns almost having the ability to drill just a couple of these and to provide geothermal heat. If you're getting to 900 degree Fahrenheit activity, you probably have the ability to have one or two of these drilled down and you can heat a whole neighborhood, for example. So these are things that really need to be uh, investigated and talked about. But I like the fact that this is the existing technology repurposed for geothermal. That should make it commercial, its ability to scale into commercial activity that much faster.
1: Yeah, the, right. If you're getting that hot, you're not only district heat, you're also industrial process too. So yeah, this is cool. Right.
0: So good article. Now, my second article here, uh, again, this one kind of, uh, you know, first off, we're going to the enemy here, oilprice.com. Ooh, uh, those Vodho fuel people. But this is a really interesting article because it plays exactly into what we've been talking about. Uh, this is from Svetlana Pereskova, April 3rd, 2022. High natural gas prices can lift green hydrogen investment. And a couple of bullet points here, they're talking about companies in the U.S. and Europe and Australia have announced major green energy hydrogen deals and projects. We've talked about those, uh, you know, probably over the course of the last two years. Blue hydrogen projects, which is production from natural gas, plus the added expensive carbon capture, is costing more and more now because of the price volatility associated with natural gas. So when you talk about green hydrogen, which is the electrolysis process being sourced from green energy, This makes more sense. So even though the world economy doesn't like the shock associated with rapid increase in oil and gas prices from the war, there is a green side. There is a positive side to that. And that positive side is the opportunity costs and the economics of going into green hydrogen look more and more favorable at this time. So even though, you know, we have price volatility in a year from now, prices could drop again and people are going to say, oh, green hydrogen is too pricey. If we start in some of these efforts and initiatives, bearing in mind that volatility hurts us, I think it just plays into the idea that this horrible crisis can actually lead to more green hydrogen investment, which, again, weans people off getting oil and gas, sourcing oil and gas from our volatile nations.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been big on hydrogen. I think uh, it's going to be a great deal when, when we have too much wind, we have too much solar, the prices go to zero, the price goes negative, you're going to get paid to take electricity and, and make hydrogen out of it, so... I'd really like to see more um, green hydrogen. I really think we're going to have a, a lot of price volatility coming up. So, you could, you know, it, it could be a flexible load to absorb uh, excess uh, solar and wind that would normally be curtailed. So, let's do this instead. Right. Like, I like this
0: quote right here. They're saying that uh, the price of uh, natural gas, so blue hydrogen, uh, along with this added expense of carbon capture, is more than 10 euros per kilogram in March with the soaring prices. So, I mean, you just, nobody nobody who does long tail projects wants to have such volatility in their pricing because it just creates so much uncertainty. So let's just focus on, yes, it's a little bit more expensive now, but the more scaling that takes place on green hydrogen, the more that pricing would come down anyways from, uh, you know, technology and increasing productivity and sophistication. So let's just keep moving on it and let's use this opportunity.
1: Yeah, and they say that right here, the quicker we switch to renewables and hydrogen, Quaker will truly be independent, right?
0: Right. Great to see it. So again, another article that I think just tied right into our, our feedback from our great guest two weeks ago. Yeah. Last one, just a CNN article because, you know, we haven't had so much positive news lately, given all the problems in the world. CNN business uh, from Angela Dewan on um, 626 AM on March 30th, in case you need to know the time. Wind and solar generated a record 10% of the world's power generation in 2021. I mean, that's remarkable. Um, It's awesome. And it's really, you know, not too much more to talk about it here, but we're getting to the point where 10%, and they're saying clean sources account for 38% of total power supply. So I think that also includes, um, which is more than coal. And I think that includes things like hydro and nuclear. And I think some people obviously have different definitions of clean energy, but we're really talking about Carbon-free power generation is really starting to get up. there, And um, this is great. We need to keep going with this. And I think like what you just mentioned uh, about the offshore auctions taking place, that just means the next three to five years, we're going to see more wind in great parts of America that'll generate a lot of consistent free electricity, tie it with some storage, tie it with green hydrogen electrolysis process, and we're really on our way.
1: Yeah. I mean, this deserves a little clap and a pat for ourselves on the back. And a raise your beer, raise your glass, um, and toast to this. This is, this is great news.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to raise my extra strength Tylenol, which I've been hepped on for three weeks now, and my yeah. coffee. But anyways, those are my articles today. There's a couple others out there. Lucas wouldn't let me publish one that talked about how William Shatner is going to be doing clean energy poetry. <laughs> That's going to be on the next episode. We're going to keep you informed. Bill Shatner goes to space when Jeff Bezos comes back and he's inspired to write green energy poetry.
1: Maybe. We'll see. All right.
0: All right. Anyways, off off to you now.
1: All right, my articles. Sadly, uh, I'm going to start with a little sad news. This is from Canary Media, March 29th. Experts say blending hydrogen into gas pipelines will not work. Um, Utilities, and we've talked about this in the past, right? We've seen studies that said they could do this, uh, but there are new, some new studies out that uh, say that it won't work. So, utilities want to extend their infrastructure's useful life. They're worried that uh, if natural gas gets dropped, then they'll have stranded assets. So, the evidence suggests that the risk and costs far outweigh uh negligible emissions reduction impact. So, uh, I haven't looked at the study, they quote, but it says there's a new report by a San Francisco-based think tank called Energy Innovation. And it lays out a critique of the US utility plans to use hydrogen as a substitute for fossil gas in their pipelines. You know, one of the one of the big arguments against we already knew, which was the energy density is much, much lower. And there's also some worry about uh hydrogen causing more corrosion because it's more volatile uh in the existing pipelines. So they may have to upgrade the pipelines, and then that defeats the whole purpose, right? of utilizing older older tech so it doesn't um, become obsolete. So this was a little rough, but uh, we may have to rethink about, you know, dual use of our natural gas pipelines uh, in the near future. So just wanted to bring this up.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought this article up because I think further investigation is warranted because we did see a lot of definitive information last year talking about a 20% blend in the pipeline shouldn't hurt it. Um, What this really just brings to me are all these types of questions associated with how are we going to allocate capital towards what projects to green ourselves? And, you know, obviously, us who are truly green really don't necessarily believe in building more gas infrastructure, although you can make the point, of course, that more gas online is taking more coal offline. So we've talked about it as a a bridge energy source. Um, But when you're talking about building 30-year, 40-year pipelines, Then And those pipelines could actually, the capital could go towards other things such as solar and wind and green hydrogen. And it does call into question whether or not we need to have this bridge technology or this bridge feel. Um, And I'm kind of paraphrasing our friend, Joe Silver, who was one of our original guests, who said, you know, we got to start thinking more rationally about, uh, you know, what kind of capex are we going to be spending in the future?
1: Yeah. So this was interesting and I agree with you. I mean, we need to stop with, natural gas investments and we need to, you know, direct that money more towards uh electric transmission lines, which I saw another um ten billion dollar investment uh estimated from MISO on transmission lines. So that's fantastic news. It's precisely where we need it with all the onshore wind there in the Great Plains. So uh, so maybe the investment's already moving there. So that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, it was a good article. And again, we'll we'll have to follow this because we're seeing both sides of this uh, conversation right
1: now. Yeah, we'll keep a close eye on that. I had to bring up some news here from Utility Dive, which is my favorite haunt. This was published March 24th by Robert Walton. New York adjusts their standby buyback rate methodologies, sweetening the value proposition for New York City storage. So this is great to see. Um, there's a picture of the beautiful city, just like the one back there. Uh, so the New York Public Service Commission, which is a state regulator, issued an order adopting a new cost allocation methodology for standby and buyback service rates. That would be uh battery energy storage system customer um, that advanced energy solution providers say will improve the value prop um, for DERs like electric vehicle storage and demand management. So this we definitely need more of. I don't know if this is in line with the new FERC 2222 but I definitely want to see more, you know, this is a good way to put it cost allocation. Uh, That's sort of one way to put it, but, you know, clear costs and clear payments and clear rewards for people that provide services like energy storage, because we need a ton of it. And so anything we can do to help people bringing energy storage onto the grid, we should be doing. So I applaud uh, actions like this. Yeah,
0: I don't have too much to add here. I think you're absolutely right. Um, storage is still the big... it's the, Not the Achilles heel, but it's still the big thing that really has to be solved. It has to have the cost reduction, like we're seeing on generation and wind and solar. So whatever we can do to create a standardization, create consistency, and give investors a certainty that they should be investing in storage, thus, thus driving costs down, I'm all for it.
1: I agree. Like, I'm still... You know, I would be ready right now to do vehicle to grid. If I had a clear cost signal, if I had you know, if I knew when prices were high and prices were low, I would not mind coming home at five, five thirty PM, plugging in my E V and discharging the entire battery for for good bucks, right? And then charging at two in the morning at at two cents a kilowatt hour. <coughs> I'd be fine with that. Just give me a price signal so I can do that. And then you don't have to go out and buy UDOS of storage. We can just dual-use EVs, right? So I, 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 I want to I, see more of this everywhere. I disagree
0: slightly on that one, from vehicle to grid, only because right now I think there's, you know, a five, 10-year output, There could be shortages on precious materials for batteries. So I don't think we need to be making vehicle batteries bigger than they need to be, right? That's why I'm still a big fan of plug-in hybrids for the next five years, you know, just... As, as a bridge solution. Um, but I so I understand conceptually what you're saying. I yeah. think in the real world, though, I worry a little bit about having a battery that people feel comfortable that they can plug in at 5 p.m. and still have enough juice in case they need to make the emergency run to the drugstore. You know,
1: well, be- you make a good point. I mean, we need to think about how we utilize energy storage solutions, right? And think hard about that.
0: Right. Now, again, right. There's a lot of companies out there creating new materials and batteries, and so uh that's right. going to help on you know vehicles on storage everything uh, right may may eliminate some of the uncertainty or the supply chain risk associated with these precious materials
1: well, like life cycle, we had them on
0: right well, they're incredible they're recycling I mean, hundred yeah. how can you be against recycling? I'm just saying that I think there's going to be substitute materials getting more and more
1: prevalent oh. Yeah, I saw one uh, an article about one using sulfur. But, the, you know, so many of those are in the research phase. They're not even in the development phase yet. So that's a long time off. But, yeah, I like to see it. My last article, this is from Electric on March 28th from Fred Lambert. Uh, Tesla is planning a big megapack project at the Gigafactory Texas to avoid non-reliable electric grids. So this is interesting, too. He just had some kind of a rodeo party last night. Did you hear about this? I don't know what that was all about. My invite must have gotten lost in the mail. But yeah, so here's their new Gigafactory in Austin, Texas. They're going to, here, they filed uh, for a permit for a battery energy storage system. That's the BESS. Uh, And they're going to build, you know, they're saying there's a lot of land available to do so. Uh fifty-three acres, which would be huge. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see Texas certainly could use the storage. So yeah, we're going to keep an eye on this one.
0: It's funny how the, the, that Gigafactory rendering—I don't see solar on the roof, and that thing is nothing but roof, right?
1: Oh, they're gonna—it says in here they're going to put solar on the top, and it's going to spell out the word Tesla. Yeah, see, spell out the word Tesla from the sky. So it's coming.
0: All right. Well, um, I mean, like you can't you can't disagree with Tesla's strategy in the wake of seeing not so much improvement in the Texas grid in the wake of what the uh, great winter burnout uh, from you know a year and three months ago. So uh, I think it's the right thing for Tesla to do, and all companies really need to be thinking more and more about resiliency from both a cost standpoint and a uh, you know a cost standpoint and a um, ROI standpoint for the investment in electricity.
1: Well, and a sustainability standpoint, right? I mean, if you can't rely on you know the Texas electric grid when it gets cold, or the or the natural gas supply when it gets cold in Texas, I mean, you know, it pays to have something on site, right? Of course. Yeah.
0: So good article. Um, again, yep. you know, even though I don't think you meant for this to be the case, your articles I think also play into solutions that can be adopted in Europe in the wake of everything that's happening with the forecasted volatility in Germany and other places like we talked about. So,
1: yeah. Um, well, we're all on the same boat. So
0: we're all on the same boat. Exactly right. Um, and I think technology transfer is a massive thing that we need to discuss. You know, innovation in the U S should be making its way to Europe. European innovation should be making its way here. Uh, and, and just let's get this going. You know, we didn't have any of the articles that referred to it, but obviously, The UN came out again over the last couple of days and said, we got three years, folks. We got three years to start solving these problems or if we don't really start reducing carbon emissions after three years, we may be hitting the point of no return. And I don't think it's scare tactic. I think it's reality. And sometimes I think we need to put down our soy lattes, stop watching our reality TV and focus on doing what's right. And most of our audience are not the type watching reality shows, but most Americans, we got to wake up to the fact that this is a major, major issue. It's happening. We see it in a lot of voting polls, you know, uh, clean energy and climate is more of a priority than it was 10 years ago, but it's still not of such importance that people are changing their methods of doing things and pushing their legislators to do more green investing.
1: Brian. Well, I, I think, I think a lot of us still believe that innovation will save us and that we'll be able to continue Our lifestyle, you know, our lifestyle can continue with no change. And I'm starting to doubt that that's true. I think we will need changes in lifestyle. Oh, you're going to send us all into poverty because I won't be able to drive my SUV around, you know, everywhere for $2 a gallon. I mean, that's not really what I call poverty. Or if being wealthy means I get to dump all over the environment, then that's not really wealthy, is it? Um, you know, I'd rather have the wealth that you call poverty then, right. Which is a clean environment and air I can breathe and a temperature that can support humans. So
0: I I remember reading a quote from a German environmental scientist, maybe about 10 years ago, said anyone who has a family who lives in a house greater than 500 square feet per resident of the house. So if you have a family of four, you know, 2000 square feet, he goes, anyone who lives greater than that. Really has to have their head examined because <laughs> you're just creating so much inefficiency and you're taking away sustainability. And I think if that that's not for me, a sacrifice. That for me is just being realistic about how we should communicate. And um, I think that translates into what you're saying about driving habits, about going with hybrids or electric, about being smarter about everything from recycling to using high efficiency appliances, to having electric lawn mowers, etc if the more we adopt these practices sooner than later, the less it feels like sacrifice a couple of years from now, it's going to feel punitive because we're going to have to do it. And government is going to have to. Impose right. It. Right. We're getting there.
1: We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how disruptive we need to be. Right. Yes. agreed. agree. So,
0: but you know, I think we had, uh, this was a quick uh, podcast today, six articles, I think all very good. Six articles plus William Shatner's doing poetry. Talk about that later. Um, but they are relevant articles, and uh, really appreciate really appreciate the support we've had over the last couple of weeks, especially with our guests. We waited a while to find the right guest to talk about the crisis in Europe, and we just I think we hit the hit the ball out of the park.
1: Yeah, and you can find us as always on your favorite podcast site. You search for parts of clean tech. We're on most of the major podcast sites. And you click on follow or subscribe or whatever the button is. And we're also on YouTube. You can subscribe to us there. So yeah, uh let your friends know, people who want to know about the future of our economies, our societies, our civilization, and energy, of course. You and can the, get it here.
0: So. And the, and the listen in style. <laughs> so with that, uh I'm Eric Planey.
1: I'm Lucas Finko.
0: And we are the Pirates of Cleantech.
1: Yar. <laughs> Pirates are...